Welcome to today's edition of Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast is being brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. chapter 8 begin reading in verse 1 thus hath the Lord God showed unto me behold a basket of summer fruit and he said Amos what seest thou and I said a basket of summer fruit then said the Lord unto me the end is come upon my people of Israel I will not again pass by them anymore the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, saith the Lord God. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail, saying, When will the new moon be gone, that we may sell corn, and the Sabbath, that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great and falsifying the balances by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat. The Lord hath sworn by the excellency of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall not the land tremble for this and everyone mourn that dwelleth therein? And it shall rise up holy as a flood. And it shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon. And I will darken the earth in the clear day. And I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins and baldness upon every head. That will make it as the morning of an only son, and the end thereof as a bitter day. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord. And shall not find it. In that day shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. They that swear by the sin of Samaria and say, Thy God, O Dan, liveth. And the manner of Beersheba liveth. Even they shall fall and never rise up again. As we go through Amos, it's not a very overly encouraging book because the judgment is coming. God has warned them and warned them and warned them and they did not take heed to those warnings and so judgment is coming. It happens to most nations. If you look at the globe, there aren't a lot of nations that last more than a few hundred years. Eventually sin becomes rampant, culture declines, and then an enemy comes and takes them over. We come here and we learn that there's a 
vision that God gives to Amos, his prophet, and he says in verse 1, Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a summer fruit, a basket of summer fruit. And then he asks Amos, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, well, it's a basket of summer fruit. So the landscape at this point, during the summer fruit, the summer now is past. The fields are empty. It's the autumn of the year. You can hear the words of Sinatra in some, one of his songs. I was young and now I am in the autumn of the year. There's something about some of those old Sinatra songs, isn't there? You see a man who has it all. He ages and ages and ages. And then he sang one of the most sad songs I think I've ever heard. Uh, Send in the clowns. How could it come down to that? It does come down to that. We all age and we all lose the flower of our beauty and the strength of our backs and things decline and we just can't fight it. You just get older and older and, and things just start to go. And we're reminded that we are eternal souls but not in an eternal body. Our body will die but we know because we just don't feel that old sometimes but we are getting older. It reminds us that our soul is eternal. Everyone here is going to live somewhere forever. Whether you like it or not, or believe it or not, you're going to live somewhere forever. Here, he sees this and he looks out into the field and the fields that once were just blossoming and blooming and full of fruit are now empty and the autumn has come. The, the leaves are, are all off the trees. It's late autumn. And he says, I see a basket of summer fruit. And then look, the Lord says to him, these grave words, the end is come. The end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day. And all the memories that, you know, when you open up that old photo album that has black and white pictures and, you know, you see, you know, everybody that you used to know was alive then. And not only were they alive, they were all young. The whole family was there. Look at the pictures. The kids look silly with their Kool-Aid mustaches that are up almost to their ears, you know, because they're just so thirsty from running and playing outside. The songs that used to be sung are no longer sung. It says, The songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, saith the Lord God, and there shall be many dead bodies in every place. We have to be reminded of the previous chapter, of chapter 7, this is a direct action and a reaction based upon the Word of God. The Word of God, the behold in our laps, brought this upon them to the point where there were corpses laying throughout the streets. Nobody even buried them. There were so many dead bodies, they, they just ceased to bury them, which brought more plague and sickness and illness than just spread so that death was rampant. There were corpses all over the streets. Because of how they treated the word of God. Howling, saith Lord God, dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. The results are so grim. We live in such a sheltered society, and I believe that we are in for a very rude awakening. 
Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy. He starts to give, again, the indictments against the country of why they are in this situation. And look what he says. Now, out of all the sins that take place, and I'm sure there are many throughout culture that were there, just like our culture is loaded with sin as well. But look what he draws attention to. Verse 4. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail. God is concerned here mainly and focuses the poor. Saying, now look, look, look at the contrast that is, saying, when will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn? And the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small. What they are worried about now here is the, the religious people of the day are not worried about the catastrophe at hand. They're not worried about the problems. They are actually worried. It says, when will the new moon be gone so that we can sell corn? They are more concerned. Hurry up with the religious function so that we can come back to selling corn. Hurry up with this religiosity, all these laws and things that we have to do. We have to go to church and you have to do this and you have to do that. Let's hurry up past that so that we can continue making more money. They had a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, Timothy tells us. Their piety was disingenuous. They really didn't care. Let's get it over with. Get in your car. And, 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 and let's be honest here. Am I the only one who's ever gone to church feeling that way? Let's just go. Let's, let's just go because that's what we're supposed to do. Well, how does it get that way? That's the idea here is, is this isn't just an indictment. This is for our learning so that we don't get that way. Yes. So that when will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great and falsifying the balances of the seat? The corruption was at every turn. I mean, they were just totally corrupt. The people that were in power of the day are totally corrupt, similar to the day that we live in. They are totally corrupt. The balances are falsified in every turn. And then he says something interesting in 6, because that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes. If you know that, if, since we've gone through Amos and in its context, this is the second time that that was mentioned. It was mentioned in chapter 2 before. That same exact phrase, that we will buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes. Let's fast forward. Throw your ribbon in here and let's fast forward a couple hundred years after the captivity. Because in Amos, we're heading into the captivity. We're being told some of the reasons why, at least here in this particular passage. But let's fast forward a couple hundred years past the captivity into Nehemiah. By the time of Nehemiah, where now the captivity is over and some of the people came home. Now, Jeremiah prophesied that the captivity will last 70 years. And of course, it lasted a lot longer. But the, God said, after 70 years, you can go home. But the problem is, is a lot of them didn't go home. They just weren't interested. So right now, as you're looking at Nehemiah and you're thinking of the timeline, the book of Esther should be in your mind because they correlate. And really, think of the book of Esther. 
for the love of money is the root of all evil. When Haman made this concoction to kill everybody, the king says, how will we pay for all that? Haman says, well, we're going to take all their money. Which means the Jews at that time were already doing very well financially. Which then explains why we have Nehemiah. Because if the Jews weren't doing so well financially in the Persian Empire, they would have came home like they were supposed to. But they didn't. So now we come to Nehemiah where there's this few scragglers, the remnant, like us, scoundrels, who came home. And if you look at Nehemiah, I mean, look, it, it, the whole thing in the beginning is, is the, you know, Nehemiah, he, he's this guy that comes, he's the cupbearer. He's rich. He's got a ton of, I mean, he has power and wealth and fame. He is the king's cupbearer. And he puts it all aside to come home. And he says that the, the people are in great affliction. They're in reproach. The walls are, are torn down and the gates are burned with fire thereof. Everyone is discouraged. Everyone is so exhausted. The people of God are totally exhausted. In fact, if you just back up a chapter into chapter 4, look at it in verse 10, Nehemiah 4.10, it says, And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burden is decayed. Even their mules were exhausted. The bearers of burden is decayed, and there is much rubbish. The rubble is so overwhelming to them, so that we are not able to build the wall. And then we know the story of Nehemiah, don't we? We have opposition, Sanballat, Tobiah, everybody out. Everybody's against them. You have troubles without, troubles within. It's a mess. And we come to chapter 5, and look what's happening. It says, And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against the, their brethren, the Jews. There's murmuring, there's turmoil within now the people that have showed up. And look what it is. Verse 2, For there were that said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore we take up corn for them, that we may eat and live. There's a problem here, and some of them are saying, Look, I have a big family. I have a lot of children, and I can't help it. They take up extra food because they're rationing food at this time. And some of the families, they got seven, eight kids, nine, ten kids. I need extra food. We are many. We, we take up corn for them and that we eat and just live. Look at three then. Some also there were that said, We have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses that we may buy corn because of the dearth. These people here are, are in hock. They sold the family farm just for the food. They're in hock up their eyeballs. Verse 4. There were also that said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and our vineyards. They can't afford taxes. They can't, they can't afford the property tax. People are losing their family farm. They, they traveled all the way from the Persian Empire doing what they thought the Lord wanted them to do, which is true, only to discover not a blessing for being obedient, but rather trouble. <laughs> you see, you, you can't mark your life 
because you're doing something right because things are going well. The devil knows how to bless people with a ton of money. That's why the wealthy are so evil. Of course, not all of them. But then there's something even more peculiar that happens. Look at it in 5. Yet, now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren. Our children are as their children. So we're Jews, they're Jews, we're human, they're human, our children are they're like their children. Were they all supposed to go to the same school together? They're all playing on the same playground. We're, we're, we're supposed to, we're all in this together. But yet, lo, we bring into bondage our sons and daughters to be servants. And some of our daughters are brought unto bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them. In other words, they were following the law, and because they became so poor, they had to sell their own children off as servants to pay the bill to their own family. To their own family. I had to sell my daughter to a distant cousin who's rich. I am so poor, and I thought we were all in this together, but now I've lost the farm, I've lost my children. They're being sold for silver, and they've even been sold for something as much as a pair of shoes. Greed. It's greed. I sat in on a meeting once with a few gentlemen who had money. In fact, one of the gentlemen, uh, I know for sure, he, 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 I think he was approaching seven figures. And we were discussing a single mom with little children to get the, her a vehicle because she didn't have any. And it was like, well, let's try to find something, you know, economical, maybe something, you know, you can find them with 100,000 miles on them pretty cheap. We can maybe spend three, four, five thousand $5,000 and get her something. And he was thinking he was generous. I don't say anything. It's your money. You do what you want with it. But you know, he won't let his wife drive something with 100,000 miles on it. It might break down. But we'll let this single mom drive a junker around so that it breaks down with her three little kids in the back. You got almost seven figures in your 401k. It got worse. The same scenario happened just a few days later when a son was having mental difficulties. He has mental difficulties. 20 years old, freshman in college, suicidal thoughts. Bad time. I mean, it's bad. Sat with his dad. His car kept breaking down. I said, why don't we just be the hero here? Be the hero, dad. And buy him a car. Amen. He's your son. You know, he didn't buy one. As far as I know to this day, he still drives the junk. Greed. Greed. Don't pass it by and give me the bull. 
Well, we need to teach him a lesson to learn to earn his money. Just say I'm greedy. That's what's happening here. We don't even have it in our power to redeem them. For other men have our lands and our vineyards. And look at the reaction that Nehemiah has. I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. Then I consulted with myself. He probably needed time to cool off. And I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said unto them, You exact usury, every one of his brother. You're even making him pay interest. And look what he did. And I set a great assembly against them. He formed a posse. Maybe we should do that around here in, the, in America. I should have formed a posse after that gentleman. That's why our church don't grow so good. Because you know, <laughs> that, 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 that people don't, you know, don't tell me what to do. And then out they go. <laughs> this is a couple hundred years after. Go back to Amos. They didn't learn their lesson. Because greed you can't get rid of. It's in the heart of man. The heart of man is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Yes, it is. Even to your own children. Yes, it is. So here, before the captivity, in Amos 8, 6, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of wheat. They were making them eat husks. Not, not the wheat part, but the actual husks part. Let's make, it's, it's good enough. We're generous. I mean, at least we're giving them that. Verse 7, the Lord hath sworn by his excellency of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. They will stand before God and give an account for that greed. God says, I will never forget that. Shall not the land tremble for this? And every one mourn? that dwelleth therein, and it shall rise up holy as a flood. It shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. He's reminding them of the horrors of the flood of Egypt when they all drowned. The bodies, the corpses that were floating afterward as the children of Israel passed through and on the other side, they stood there in absolute silence and horror as the, all the Egyptians, the corpses, lay floating in the waves of the Red Sea face down. And, and just so we don't think this is only historical, it's not. This is not just history. This is prophecy. He's showing us events that took place in the past so that we can understand what it's going to look like in the future so that we have the fire in our bones to try to avoid it. Amen. So he gives us a glimpse and look, he says in verse 9, And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon and I will darken the earth in the clear day. He's referring to the day of the Lord there also. Because we know that that looks like Peter started preaching about that at Pentecost, which was actually the sixth seal that happens in the book of Revelation. Although the moon then turns to blood as well. You see, history repeats itself because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Sin is the same, man is the same, and God is the same. Amen. So in verse 10, I will turn your feasts in the morning. 
and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins and baldness on every head. That, that, that was a strict mourning of someone who lost in, in, in a catastrophe all of their family members. They would shave their head bald. And I will make it as the mourning of an only son. I, I have a family member that buried actually two, two children. I didn't think that they would recover to bury your own son. That's the, that is the, the grief that they are encountering. It's as a, a bitter day. But as bad as all that is, it gets worse. Much worse. Because we have verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. I also want you to notice the phrase very carefully in there. He says, I will send a famine. It wasn't random. It was God's doing. I will send a famine. They will no longer hear my word. You don't want to hear his word? You know people who don't want it and they reject Jesus Christ and they reject God's word and they just leave it on a shelf? Fine. It's over. To him that much is given, more shall be required. And Jesus actually told a parable. He said, take that which he hath and give it to him that has done something with it. It's grim. It's grim. Because of the word of God that we hold in our laps. The invincible word of God. My words shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I put it forth to do. We have the arsenal in our, in our pistols. It's in our laps. And so did they. Till finally I will send a famine not of bread nor of corn, but of the word of God. You won't hear it anymore. And let me tell you, if you put a society that is void of the word of God, it is chaos. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north even to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they won't find it. It's too late. Today is the day. 13, in that day shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. And they that swear by the sin of Samaria, they swear by it. This, I am who I am. I tried to lead a guy once to, to the Lord and... And he said, I'm an Irish Catholic. I, I was born an Irish Catholic. My grandfather was an Irish Catholic. And my great-grandfather was an Irish Catholic. And I will die an Irish Catholic. And I said, then you will die and go to hell. Unless you are a born-again Irish Catholic. Amen. <laughs> he didn't understand that all the way. So I left. But we'll just leave him with some interest, you know. Leave him. <laughs> Keep him coming. I didn't want to be too harsh. The end is come. Don't deny it. It's coming. So what do we do? So what do we do? We want to do something, don't you? I want to do something. I don't want to just be a hearer. I want to be a doer. But, but, but the question is, is well, then what do we do? God has designed this 
Now, notice there are a lot of things that I'm sure that they were doing wrong during Amos' day. I'm sure that out of all the, the sins that they were doing, God has noticed that he brings out the fact that you didn't treat the poor well. That's strange. So what do we do? Well, let's go over to Job and find out a partial solution. I'm not saying it is the solution. I'm just saying if you want to know something to do, look, look how this pans out. Now, Job, we know. Job is a book that has cobwebs in it because it is the, the, we, we know the story. Job suffered. He lost his children. He lost his family. lost his house. lost the farm. lost everything. Came with boils. Came with this thing. He suffered. He suffered. He suffered. He suffered. He suffered. There's a lot more in Job than the fact that Job suffered. So look in Job chapter 29. It says, Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Now look what he says. Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me. He's gonna, she's going to roll down memory lane a little bit. When his candle shined upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle. It's interesting, you know, he calls it the secret of God. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. Job doesn't know that. Because Job was one of the earliest written books. There was no written revelation. He didn't know. He doesn't know hermitology. He doesn't know the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know Ruach. He doesn't know these things. But he knows there's something secret upon my house. It's a secret. Like Nicodemus and Jesus you must be born again by the Spirit. The wind blows where it listeth. It goes and it comes, and you don't know where it's coming from, and you don't know where it's going. It's the work of the secret. It's the Spirit. Job doesn't fully understand, but as, as I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, when the Almighty was yet with me, and my, my children were about me, when I washed my steps with butter and the rock poured out rivers of oil, things were going so well. When I went out to the gate, now look what happens. When I went out to the gate through the city, when I prepared my seat in the street, that's a special memory. Notice the exclamation point. To Job, that, that, there's a memory there that we're not, we don't know, but he does. And look, he tries to describe it. Verse 8. The young men saw me and hid. They were intimidated by him. Here comes Job. The young men hide. The young men saw me and hid themselves, and the aged arose and stood up. The young men are so intimidated, the older men are honoring him. As he walks through the street, he can walk through and he sees people dart around corners. And as he's approaching, he notices there's a few men. They stand at their feet to shake his hand. The princes refrained talking. That's the political leaders who are in power and wealth. These same princes, they refrained talking and laid their hand upon their mouth when Job walked by. The nobles held their peace and their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. That's how prominent and respected Job was. When he walked down the street, people noticed that's Job. 
Look, verse 11, when the ear heard me, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw me, it gave witness to me. In other words, when he walked into the room, everybody was looking at Job. They were all paying attention to him just by his presence. Jump down to verse 20. Look what he says. My glory was fresh in me and my bow was renewed in my hand. He, he had the power of the hunter, the power of the warrior. His bow felt good in his hand. Unto me men gave ear and waited and kept silence at my counsel. After my words, they spake not again. In other words, he always got the last word. Always. Didn't have to fight for it. After my words, they spake not again, and my speech dropped upon them. And they waited for me as for the rain, and they opened their mouth wide as the latter rain. If I laughed on them, they believed it not. They couldn't tell if he was joking or if he was serious. There was that much respect. Rather than put their foot in their mouth like I normally do, they, they just decided, we're just not going to laugh at those jokes because I can't tell if he's joking or not. If I laughed on them, they believed it not. The light of my countenance they cast down. I chose out their way and sat chief and dwelt as a king in the army, as one that comforted the mourners. How did it get that way? Because wouldn't, let me tell you, if we started to, to actually as a church, as a whole, if we began an assault as a whole, we can take down a corrupt government. Amen. We can lead blind people to sight, deaf people to hear. We can, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, absolute 12 men turn, that's not 12, that's four. I don't have 12 fingers. I'm not the giant. <laughs> 12 men turn the world upside down. 12 men. You want to know how this is? Probably a lot of ways. But let's just look at one that God himself has chosen to record for our hearing. Look at it in verse 12. All of this because... I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless and him that had none to help. Out of all the things that Job had power of and out of all the control and all the prestige and everything that he had, he gives glory and, and honor to God because he knew the right thing to do was to take care of the poor and the needy and the fatherless. I know you're all thinking James in the New Testament. Pure religion is this. To take the fatherless and the widows. Because I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless and him that had none to help. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me. And I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. People, don't forget, in those days, women were just commodity. They were like second to slaves. Nobody cared for women. I mean, think of that. Women couldn't vote until how long? Until a Christian nation was born, that was the first time in the world that women had credibility because of the Bible. Abigail Adams. 
as, as, as I believe it was John that was on his way, she said, don't forget the women. The widows who were absolutely useless because they couldn't produce anything in society, they were just goners. And Job, he made these people, the least of them, made their heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. Now look, I was eyes to the blind and feet was I to the lame. I was a father to the poor. And the cause, now look at this is the interesting part. And the cause which I knew not, I searched out. He didn't just give money to the poor. He spent so much time with them that he searched out why it is they were poor. So that I can help you to not be poor. This guy is the CEO of probably the largest company around. And he spends that much time with a poor guy that nobody else wants to. Does that not sound like Jesus Christ? Amen. He who was rich became poor so that we who are poor might become rich. Leave the 99 and go after the one. You want something to do that will have impact in the kingdom and in our country? Don't forget the poor. And Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. We definitely do. You've been listening to Time in the Vineyard with pastor teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast was brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. For more information, you can call the church at 330-554-7606 or check us out on the web at libertyvalleychurch.org. That's libertyvalleychurch.org.